Thanks for joining us today on Two Age Sojourner. We're a podcast that promotes Reformed, Baptist, Confessional, Pliny, and Two Kingdom, Amillennial, Pilgrim Theology. And we also think about what it means to be a Christian in the in the overlap of the ages, because it's two ages, right? And Two Age Sojourner is hosted by me, Michael Beck. I'm the pastor of GraceNet Community Church in Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, and uh, right now I'm being, you know, I've got my little thing going on with uh, with with all the co-hosts uh, at the same time. So my whole little speech means nothing at the moment. But, but basically Nick is with me, uh, a fellow man of the cloth. He is uh, from, what is the church's name? Coming <laughs> <laughs> Baptist Grace. Church from Timaru on South Island. South Island in New Zealand. And then Andre will be joining us. He's uh, right now live streaming something else, and he'll just pop in when he's done there. And he is the pastor of Bethesda Baptist Church in Felixstowe, UK. Um, and the music on the podcast was written by Jeremy Casella and performed by Indelible Grace. And originally, actually, the words were written by William Williams. Guide me, oh, thou great Jehovah. So check it out. You can, uh, they, they've done great things with hymns. Uh, you can listen to their music on Spotify. And um, that's it. That's a wrap. Check us out at 2AgeSojourner.com. Give us a rating, subscribe, join us for the conversation. And let's kick this one off right now. Nick, <laughs> what are we talking about? Well, we are, uh, I think we're, we're addicted to the, uh, talking about baptism. Yep. So we've, uh, we've committed ourselves for a long haul of uh, looking at various texts on the issue. And uh, we feel that John Fesco's book, uh, Word, Water and Spirit, A Reformed Perspective on Baptism is an excellent book to be looking at. Mm. Yeah. One thing, uh, one reason, I mean, we have, I, I can't even, yeah, I think, you know what I did? I did do a summary at some point. I think it was with Chris um, with uh, By Earth Consigned or Of By Earth Consigned, um, written by Meredith Klein. And, uh, and he makes that unique sort of, uh, you know, he takes that unique position that um, I, I'm not even aware that anyone else is. I think he was kind of, you know, he was, you know, moving into some new ground at this point, at that point anyway. But uh, Fesco took that on. And so, um, you know, he's, it's just a bit more of an updated, historically robust kind of thing there. What's up, bro? Very much, man. Just done my, done my song. Wow, that was, uh, that was very... Are you recording? I am. You're on. Are we on? Are we I've live? Just done, I've just done my thing. Your thing? Yeah. You missed the hey, intro. So, <laughs> if, anyone, um, if anyone wants to know what tattoo I have on... Uh, what tattoo my brother has, that little frame behind me right there, if you're watching the video, is actually the legitimate tattoo thing. What do you call it again? The... Oh, that's true. Yeah, stencil. Kind of, yeah. yeah, that's the actual stencil that the guy did before he tattooed it on you. And we framed that. <laughs> and it's that's right. Cool. Yeah, it's the Luther Rose. And then it's got what? What's the scripture reference? The Romans. The Romans 7, Romans 24. 7, yeah. Wretched man that I am. Who will yeah. save me from this body of death? Don't change your theology on the wretched man now. No, <laughs> that's true. Hey, and, when, is there any other theology of the wretched man? <laughs> Personally, I think not. But uh, <laughs> the um, uh, I remember we took all because it's a lot of text to get tattooed. So we took it to the the guy, and he's like, "Whoa, that's a mouthful of lyrics." <laughs> <laughs> so man, anyway, at the um, very least, I, I forced him to copy out Romans seven twenty four and twenty five a few times. So that's all. Mm-hmm. You know. So 
what I was going to do, I, I installed this cool software. So I was going to zoom in and show everyone the tattoo, but uh, that made my computer meltdown. So now we're late and we're doing this all in weird it's time. So zones. cool. So anyway, whatever. Back to baptism. That's it. All right. Now what we're doing, uh, what I was saying is that we're, we're taking on Fesco's book. I think it's a great book in that it just updates a little bit of what Klein's done. And I don't think that it, there is anything else like it. I mean, you got a little bit in Horton uh, who might've yeah. just, uh, you know, taken some of the arguments, but nothing so explicitly Kleinian <laughs> in terms of his approach to baptism. And yet, uh, you know, he really kind of improves it. I think Fesco from what, what I've read already, because you know, he's just putting it in context to, um, you know, church history and a wider systematic angle as well as the biblical theological stuff. So um, looking at his book, uh, it's a big one. Um, so it's ne- there it's are, nearly, five, nearly 500 pages. Yeah. And we've got 15 chapters. So I'm thinking we'll do this the way we always do it. We'll, we'll kind of, you know, this is not a summary kind of <laughs> condensed. We're not going to try and do that. We'll use it. It will basically work. So if, if you are interested in, in sort of just being in our headspace, that would be good for you to go, go ahead and read this with us. But if you, you know, I don't think you'll lose much by not reading it. So that would be cool as well. If you just want to listen along, uh, mm-hmm. because we'll branch out from this and do our own thing and then just basically interact with some of the stuff that's more um, relevant and, and uh, interesting. So, I mean, the history of doctrine part, I know Nick wants to sink his teeth into that, but I think um, he's got part one, the history of doctrine, part two, biblical theological survey of the doctrine, part three, systematic theological construction of the doctrine. I'm definitely more interested in those second two parts, yeah. um, but it is good anyway, just to kind of, because, because it's so wrapped up in the constant conversations that you have to have about this stuff um, to just work at least at some level through the basic history and he does a good job in that he hits on the big pieces you know so uh if you've thought about those areas you've pretty much thought about yeah. the main parts of of church history there um so i think it'll be helpful to do you know we just work our way through we'll see how long it takes um we'll do one two skip a few and you know it might be might be 10 weeks it might be 20 weeks it might be less you know we'll just see how we go sound good sounds great all righty good so Part one, history of doctrine, baptism in the patristic age, yeah. middle ages and counter-reformation. Woo. So before you, before you kick that off, I thought there was something really helpful in his intro um, where he looks at methodological uh, presuppositions. And um, he just said something uh, as he looked at covenant and canon and particularly under covenant, which was really helpful uh, just in terms of helping us understand the patristic period. Because mm-hmm. he summarizes Roman Catholic th- uh, theology and Roman Catholicism really is the mature thought of the whole patristic era through the medieval era brought to a grand culmination at Trent. Right. And so uh, <clears throat> I think he just nailed the distinction and it's incredibly helpful. So mm. I thought we like, just... can we just edit that clip? Just get, just get the recording of Nick saying that, but you know, <laughs> that, that Roman Catholic theology is the maturing, you know, the mature <laughs> thought. Of all that's come from the patristics and medieval, just just edit that clip out and put it on YouTube. Yeah. So everything that was wrong brought to fruition. Brought to its apex. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 now you're going to hear why why I happily say that. And yeah. uh, what he does is he he talks about the fact that uh, many Baptist books leave out covenant in their perspective on baptism. And you know what I liked about it is he immediately puts in a footnote. This is there's it's not all the Baptist books. He's got Fred Malone in there. Did yeah. you see that? Jewett, you know, I think you put Jewett in there as well. You put well. Jewett in there. Yep, yep. I saw that. So I was like, you know what? This guy's all right. 
Did you know he, he comes from Baptist first. church? His, his, I think it was his dad or his grandfather was a, a Baptist deacon. Yes, and he dedicates the book to him. I'm like, yeah. dude, wrong book to dedicate to your, gra- your yeah. Baptist grandpa. But, anyway, um, but, but what was cool is that, he, you know, Jewett influenced him, got him into uh, covenant theology. That was, that was I saw that. Yeah, it's like, I feel you, bro. I feel you. Yeah. Anyway, cool. So he just looks at the fact that Roman Catholicism doesn't approach the whole issue of baptism through covenant. And uh, just listen to what he says here. Mm. He says, according to Roman Catholic doctrine, for example, In baptism, man receives the infused righteousness of Christ as opposed Mm -hmm. to the imputed and the created grace of God. So that concept of created grace is going to become a a major motif that he develops. Mm. A habitus or habit, a disposition or inclination towards spiritual good. Through this infusion of created grace, man cooperates with God and overcomes his fallen estate. On the other hand, Reformation theology historically has argued that man's sin is not an ontological, but a moral ethical problem. So this mm, is this is mm. the, the the beautiful uh, yep. contrast that he makes. Ontological is uh, <clears throat> here's the problem of pollution. Here's the problem of guilt. Mm. And so an ontological solution is by putting a substance called grace into me through the priests, through the sacraments, to fix the problem going on internally. Yeah. Whereas my primary problem with God is as a sinner towards a holy God, there's a moral, forensic, relational mm. problem. Mm-hmm. This is what justification at the Reformation really solved. Mm-hmm. So the whole way as we go through the patristic period and the medieval period is just really focusing on how baptism solves the ontological problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if you understand that there's you know, realism, neoplatonism and this ontological fixation on created grace having to get inside of you through the sacraments mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that just really helps you understand really helps. Where, the, where the main problems are right yeah. and it's it's sort of um you know it reminds me of what um in fact i should probably mention this up front um there is a book and you must have this as, uh nick do you have this book this uh baptism in the early church that, uh, there low? yeah I've, I've i've i haven't got it but i've read parts of it yeah so this is um yeah, I'll probably yeah, make it. I wanted to buy it, but it's like 150 pounds. Oh, yeah, it's one of those one of those books. Yeah, um, but if you can get hold of it, if you're listening um, to this and uh, you can get hold of it, um, I don't know how you will do that, but if you can get try and get it because it might, it might, they might have it in a library or something. I'm not sure. Um, but these are two. Um, did you do you when you were at because uh, you studied at uh, University of Pretoria, right, Andre? Andre. Andre, yeah. 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 So, I mean, this guy was um, uh, Professor Stunder, was the, the, the Greek guy there. Do you remember him? So, um, I don't remember him. I was only there for, for one year. And okay. most of the, most of like the heavyweight scholars when I was there, when I was there, was uh, they were on like sabbatical or like doing like a writing leave or like touring right. the world lecturing or something like that. So, okay. Yeah. There were a couple of guys. I don't remember Stunder. No. All right. So University of Pretoria or Tux is, as we like to call it, it was. Uh, it's a good university in South Africa, and um, and this is two professors, Stunder and Lowe. They really are well recognized authorities uh, in patristic studies. And, um, and they put out this book and what's interesting is they're both pedo Baptist 
and they, they did this deep dive into, you know, the patristics to see what actually, I mean, what do we actually know, like legit, what is going on with baptism? And uh, the, their conclusions were fascinating. I mean, they just, uh, you know, you could tell they're, they're, they're the scholarly type, they don't actually care what damage and, and destruction they're causing <laughs> for denominations. But, but uh, you know, they were just saying things like, uh, you know, it's just on what you were saying there, Nick, you know, it's once you get that idea, once you see the theological leaning and bent that started to to come into play mixed with this like brainchild of comparing it to circumcision mixed with the emergency baptisms that needed to happen you know it, it just it just very quickly became this thing we now call infant baptism but that was really only around the fourth century you know yeah. and um and so it, it took a while to get there and uh there's just absolutely no way we can say that was around before then so you know often people talk about the you know, it's just being the thing that the church has always done. And they just show definitively that's not the case. But yeah, I think, I think what you mentioned there in terms of just that theological bent is so important because it just, and it just shows what drives the whole thing because it sometimes yeah. seems so foreign to us as we look at all this. Uh, why would you even say that? What would you even, you know, what, what's, what are you even doing? Well, that's what they're doing. There's a theological paradigm they're working with. Yeah. I think though sometimes for, um, you know, sometimes for evangelicals who, who hear things like that, um, like unless you basically know the historical discussions between, you know, discussions, tame word, but uh, between Reformed and Catholic guys on it, um, sometimes when you talk about sort of the problem is at the level of my being and I need something to come and change who I am and I need grace to be able to do that, all that just sounds a lot like the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of a believer to a lot of evangelicals. They just kind of yeah. hear that and think, oh yeah, well that's, that that's sounds exactly Christian. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, well, right. yeah. And it sounds not only Christian, but it sounds thoroughly Protestant, you know, like it sounds, it, it sounds like, well, yeah, of course I am a sinner. And of course uh, I need my heart to be changed as well. You know, so it's, I don't just need a legal declaration. I, I don't just need to be declared not guilty, but I need also something to happen from the inside. And obviously for Baptists, like that whole thing about the new covenant and the, on the heart. So like it, it can be quite tricky to listen to, to that kind of Catholic speech, unless you're kind of aware of the ins and outs and what they're saying and what they're not saying and what they're refuting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, by saying that it just sounds like, this, like another side of the same coin. Uh, one guy recently said to me, um, you know, the problem, the problem with all the kind of reform guys is they were basically all lawyers. So they all thought about it in legal terms, you know, Calvin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's true. A lot of them were, but I think it's not necessarily that they were seeing legal things that weren't there, but it's more that maybe they were able to detect the legal side of things. Whereas before that, it, you know, people were thinking about it at a more kind of mystical level. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that sounds very new perspective on Polish. Krista mm. Stendhal's uh, yeah, very possible. Yeah. You know the the fact that the the Western conscience has been so disturbed because we're reading you know the Bible through Luther's interpretation, mm. and Luther was a man who had psycho psychological problems. Yeah. Mm. Well, thinking about Luther, uh, just what you were saying there, Andrew. I mean, basically, you know, that I have that experience all the time when when I'm reading Luther on baptism, I, I'm just going, yes, amen, amen, amen. Amen. You know, like he's talking about the word and, and, mm. you know, our response to the word, but you know, when you see what he's actually saying, 
<laughs> you're like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 I did not agree to that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But exactly. the whole time. And, they you smuggle know, it in using all these familiar phrases. Exactly. It's so crazy. So anyways, it's, it's a really interesting thing going through. And I think Fesco did a good job. Just, um, you know, briefly read the two chapters today. I mean, didn't go into any level of, of crazy studious detail yet, but, but yeah, it just took me, you know, it just took me through. And uh, I think you made some fair pointers um, as we went through. Um, I think he was also fair in saying that as much as uh, a lot of the stuff is, you know, you can't just look back and try and find Baptist practice here. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, and I think he's, he's equally fair in saying that, you, you, you know, Presbyterians need to watch out for that as well, because, yeah. you know, yeah. you can't find Presbyterian practice here either. I mean, well, you can find something that, that is very broadly analogous, but like you said, you know, if you find someone that, bapt- that baptized via submersion an adult professing believer mm-hmm. uh, with the Roman Catholic theology, essentially. I mean, you know, th- that's a world apart, you know, even if the practice aligns. Yeah. So, you know, that's got to apply for the Peter Baptist side as well. Um, In some but, sense, the, the kind of real question that gets thrown up by looking at the history is not whether you baptize infants or not, but whether or not, um, you know, or to, to what extent grace is given in the sacraments. You know, mm. so it, like, cause it's, it, it's the whole, the unity of history from what he's about to draw out is really pointing out that something, something happens that, you know, puts you into the state of grace or, yeah. or, you know, imparts well, that, grace. That's probably, somehow. that's probably a great concern to just quickly use as a lens to just mm-hmm. quickly touch on. Mm. It might, should we just touch on those quickly? Yep. Yeah. Okay. It. So, I mean, uh, <clears throat> starts with the Didache, which is the earliest teaching on baptism between 100 and 120. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've done that in a formal podcast. Please yes, go and we have, have a look. Yeah. Uh, Can you hear us reading is, it and everything? <laughs> chapter seven is the, bapt- is the baptism chapter. Uh-huh. And uh, just to give a quick summary, it should be done in the name of the Trinity. It should be done in living water. That is a river or moving water. Um, if yeah, a river can't I, you be found, then I feel water. that one. I, I need to share the story, right? I baptized <laughs> okay. someone in a, in a non-living uh, stream, right? It was like, it was like getting all gross. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, did, it, uh, did it have bulhazia? It kind of did a little bit, but we were <laughs> desperate, right? So, so I baptized a guy and I stood on a nail in this Ooh. river. Anyways, I thought nothing of it, but it like got all weird. And next thing Funky. you know, I was getting, you know, carted in by the ambulance to the hospital. Nearly died, bro, with blood, blood poisoning and everything. So there we go. I think the Didache has a point, personally. I, I, think, uh, <laughs> I think what they're saying here is legit. So we need to, yeah. like, to be fair, Mike, that could have happened in a running river as well. That's true. Well, maybe not quite, because no, probably not, actually. I don't know. This you was, still get this was nasty. if you step in a rusty nail. Man. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. So Trinity, living water. Uh, if you can't find living water, uh, other water. Cold is preferred to warm. Uh-huh, if you definitely. can't immerse, immer- immersion is preferable. But if you can't immerse, then pour three times. And precede the baptism with fasting. So that's like a very quick, almost, mm-hmm. there must have been a practice that everyone probably knew about. And that's just mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. details, fine tuning it. Mm-hmm. And um, fasting, of course, precludes the infants. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, so does the well, immersion, pre- I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, others would say it doesn't, but we would Unless we would you're like Greek Orthodox, bro. I did yeah. have a slight problem with Fesco's analysis. Um, I know that right from the beginning, he does have a, a Calvin approach to mode yes oh we need to talk about mode yeah this yeah, is like we, this is our bait in, and switch yeah <laughs> indifference to mode is sort of like a that's that's calvin's modus operandi and yeah. uh he 
just sort of sneaks it in early on and says, oh, you see, there's no, there's no yeah. big deal about mode here. Immersion's preferred, but, you know, other modes are also okay. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't actually discuss whether this was because of lack of water, whether it's because of persecution. Mm. Um, so when reading Fesco, th- these are the things as a Baptist that just stuck out to me. I right. felt, I don't know what you guys think about mode. Um, here, I was listening to a, an interview by Fesco done by Reform Forum, Christ the Center. Okay. Their podcast in mm-hmm. 2010 when the book was first released. And uh, he made the point that it was the particular Baptists who, because they had confessional statements, who were the first to make mode a thing. To make wasn't it that a, like, we, we, we had the face cloth thing going for a while. <laughs> that was like, a, I was shocked to hear that for a while. I think it was like, you know, this is just, it might have been. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into trouble with the rainy hands for this, but I know I. It's something to do with uh, either the Anabaptists toward the end, or uh, that was it. The they learned from the Anabaptists, you know, via someone, uh, Menno Simons, or I don't know, some, some random dude, and uh, they were face clothing. So basically, just took a what face. Did, what do you mean? Like a, they just wet a face cloth and put put it over the person's face. <laughs> what for what? baptism? For baptism. And I mean, the first, the first Anabaptist uh, baptism and this was, was done like, in the public fountain with pouring. So, well, there we go. And so, yes, they were face clothing after profession of faith. <laughs> so anyways, I need to find out where I got this from because this is a really <laughs> bizarre fact. Look, but, I can believe it because I mean, it's, it's offered as a point of criticism that the, the particular Baptists are the, the first to sort of put it as a, as a confessional distinctive. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't have a problem with that because many things became confessional distinctives after the Reformation. Totally. And the indifference to mode was because of their beliefs, because of their practice, because mm. of the national baptisms, mm. because of the predominance of babies having been baptized. Mm. Mm. And mm. Um, so I, I don't have too many problems uh, with that. But um, just coming back to the issue of mode, mm. m- my gut feel is that in the New Testament, every time baptism is uh, put forward, it seems mm. that the foreground concern, there are other background concerns, but the foreground concern is our union with Christ and death, burial, and resurrection with him. Mm. And so, yes, there's the receiving of the spirit. Yes, there's cleansing. Yes, there's initiation. To downplay mode when that seems to be the foreground concern in terms of its meaning as Paul puts it forward. Um, that's my feel. That's, that's, that's what I think anyway. I mean, I, I definitely think that you're right, that the, the, the primary symbolism of baptism is to do with union with Christ, death, death and resurrection. Um, and that the mode that, that most um, aligns with that is baptism through immersion. So, I mean, I, I think that is the preferred mode. You know, so I agree with the, the Didache on this, that, you know, you want to go for full immersion. That's the thing that brings out the, the most, you know, because all the other things like the sprinkling and the pouring and all that kind of thing, they, there are true allusions to parts of what baptism, you know, uh, part of what, it, what, what it's a sacrament of. Um, but none of them sort of are the whole, none of them are the whole picture. And so I think you really want to go for what is, the whole picture. But having said that, you know, I, I don't really, I find it very difficult to worry too much if I hear that someone was, you know, baptized with a different mode, 
you know, it, I, I struggled to to care enough about that to lose any sleep over it. Yeah. I'm not sure I would. As, I would as do a confession, as a confession, from... as a confessional Baptist, and the fact that it's in the 1689, I have to care. Yeah, but you know, I am. Um, <laughs> I, again, I go along with it as, as the kind of normal thing. So I wouldn't normally do anything else. I mean, there might be very yeah. extreme circumstances in which, you know, you just can't get someone into a pool or into the sea or something like that. Um, but I'd, and I'd rather somebody who had such a, an, and, and you do meet them from time to time, people who have such a phobia of, of water. I'd rather they were baptized by some lesser mode than not baptized at all. You know, so if I have to choose the lesser of two evils there, you know, I'd, yeah. I would. And, so, and, and I think we would all agree in extreme situations, we would, you know, make accommodations that we think that's probably the heart behind the Didache. But I think, you know, as I listen to Fesco's, the, what's the title of his book? Uh, Word, Word, Water and Spirit. Water and Spirit. No death, burial and resurrection in the title. So I appreciate that those are all aspects of baptism because it's a visible word. And yep. yes, there's the water of judgment and there's the spirit. But I mean, Christ, death, burial, resurrection. Well, so, on I mean, that point, I think he privileges me, uh, his case as he works through. That's that's that's. I just want to raise that point yeah. as a Baptist. Yeah. I, I do read it differently. Yeah. So I, you know, interestingly, I think um, in light of where he's going to go, you know, with the biblical theological case, if he sticks with Klein, yeah. Um, he, you know, I feel like he is, you know, even though I would probably be okay with saying, you know, the mode thing is flexible. Um, I think that the case he ends up making almost demands submersion, you know, because you, you, you have yeah. the whole idea of judgment and, uh, you know, and we often talk about uh, Meredith Klein's sort of mocking of the sprinkling idea. You know, he, he was obviously a pedo-baptist, but he really, he thought it was pathetic that you, you would just sprinkle and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, he said it had to be more foreboding than that, you know, so pouring at least had a sense of, you know, overwhelming something or other. And I think in the first two chapters, somewhere along the line, he does mention the, this connection to being overwhelmed by the water. And that, that's an important idea. But um, what I was going to say with mode as well is that I do find, I've always found it a, a, a good argument. I mean, that, you know, if you're looking at baptism, you know, the word, obviously we know the lexical sort of entry there is, is submerge or dip or whatever. But, you know, if, you, if you're reading through and you see the idea of uh, baptism that Jesus is speaking about, um, you, it's very clearly, you know, it happens with the Spirit when, when at Pentecost, when you know, they're baptized in the Spirit and there it's very clearly connected to being poured out upon them. So I think, you know, you, you, can't, you can't scuff at that. That's something that's real. No, that, I, just, I just think that's why I make the point is that there's a foreground concern in baptism. Yeah. Identification with Christ and death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah. And there are background concerns which are legit, but they're not what's expressed by the mode. So that's, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm a true immersionist in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that also depends on, and this, I think I will have a lot more to talk about when he gets, he gets into the biblical theological stuff, but basically, um, you know, there, I think if it's not even, I don't think that he's saying, you know, cause I agree with you in terms of, uh, you know, you got sprinkling and that kind of reflects the, the, the sprinkling of the blood on the altar and so forth. Um, and that's a, a background concern. And then you got death and resurrection, but the thing with the, the spirit pouring, it's very connected to the judgment theme itself. And if judgment is the thing, which I, I tend to feel, I, I'm, I feel like that, especially for a Baptist view is so important. And we'll yep, get, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to preempt, uh, what, what we're going to get to, but, but, um, 
you know, th- that means that, uh, you know, there's something about and the way he described it. I can't remember the way exactly, but, but, you know, whether it's coming from above or coming from below, you know, you almost have the idea of a overwhelm inundated. Flood, you know, yeah. inundated. So I think that's the thing. I mean, if you're going to ask the question, how do we physically portray being inundated with water at, you know, and judgment, I mean, there you're back to square one and that, okay, if you've got a massive bucket and you can lift the thing and yeah. you've got, it's like, it's not very practical, you know, it's a pour at that level. Uh, it might be, but, uh, you know, generally speaking, you know, you got this idea of submersion is ready to go on that point. Um, but like I said to Nick the other day, you know, at the end, if, if I saw a bucket of water and there was no other water, dude. I'm throwing the bucket of water on the guy. No worries. Uh, I mean, if you're in prison and you get one daily amount of of, a cup of water and there's no access to a pool, I'm going to pour that thing dramatically. I'll throw that in the name of the Trinity and three times if you want, you know, but I might even, I might even just like christen without water and then drink the rest. If I only got one cup, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I would would sacrifice for the Lord. Uh, uh, Yeah. I would, I would, but Mike, are you, are you, you would still say that, um, uh, union, union with Christ. What would you say that union, union with Christ is the main, is the main idea being? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm with Klein on the judgment thing. You know, in that it's it's basically the idea is is obviously it's impossible to disconnect union from judgment. In that you know we're placed into Christ and judged in Him. You know, and you know, so I often think about what what the gospel is. The gospel is not that you get you get out of hell or you don't go to hell. The gospel is that you go to the deepest part of hell, you know, that, that except obviously you do it in union to Christ. Um, So, you know, Christ has experienced the very depth and the very worst part of of judgment in these themes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's almost impossible for me to separate that idea, but just, uh, you know, when you do have that idea of being, you know, dying and being resurrected, uh, th- that for me is all about the the judgment, the, the judgment idea. Yeah. So it's, it's union. Yes. But it's like, there's a lot to say about union and this is a specific point on union that I think is being brought up. So, you know, I think that's a, that's a, an important part of, of what baptism um, is, you know, well, at least what the sign is supposed to be indicating. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing is, uh, you know, Klein goes in all sorts of directions. I wouldn't go with that. So, you know, I need to say that as well. And, um, and he uses it almost as a way to kind of, you know, make it possible to just go ahead and baptize everyone and, you know, we'll get there later. But, um, but, you know, just in terms of that judgment theme, I think he really, he, he does Baptist theology, a real service with that one. And, uh, and, and I think Fesco will align to that and, and it'll really be very edifying for, for anyone who is, uh, who holds to a Baptist conviction. So I'm really interested to see how this discussion pans out. Um, but let me just say one more thing on mode. Like, you yeah. know, I would say I'm a soft subscriptionist on this issue in that uh, you mentioned if you, you know, if you found someone, if you, uh, you know, met someone at church who had been baptized uh, I'd let, I don't know, let's say, if, you know, by pouring or something. Yeah. Um, and it was after profession of faith. The big thing for me would be that it's after profession of faith. Otherwise I'm just doing it again. That's the bottom line, you know? And, and if I'm doing it, I'm, I'm submerging them, you know, that's how it's, it's going for me. Um, but if someone was, you know, received some pouring after faith um, and, you know, I don't think I would, I would feel the need to, to redo their baptism at all. So, and, and I think what I like about that as well is that it puts me, I don't, I feel like the whole um, objection, you know, Hey, but 
if this is the way baptism is supposed to be done, then, you know, the church has really not baptized anyone until the 1689ers came along. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it takes me, it's water off a duck's back for me because, you know, that's cool. not what I'm saying. Ha, you like that. <laughs> you like that. All right. Uh, so back to the Didicat. Um, don't, don't brush my point off. It's water off a duck's back. No, bro. You, you did make it seem a little bit like you were undermining. Uh, sorry, I, I, I just didn't want to lose sight of the <laughs> Look, look if, if, I, if, if anyone was undermining anyone, it was me undermining Nick's position. Yeah. So, I mean, my position is this. Um, the confession and the constitution of our church both require immersion. Yeah. And when I practice baptism in our church and we allow people into the membership in our church, we follow the guides of those documents. So, if so, a guy, if so a guy technically was, uh, there won't be an ex- uh, anyone who could apply for membership that I could let in, even if I disagreed mm-hmm. because the congregation, we're a congregational yeah. church and, that and, and I have to show that, that this person has been baptized constitutionally in order to become mm-hmm. part of the membership. See, so in one, sense, it's, 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 in one sense, it's a hypothetical issue. Yeah. So unless, like, unless, unless you rewrite the, and I assume your constitution is the same. It's a Baptist constitution. That's, that's how I feel about women preachers. Are you wanting to take <laughs> us on all sorts of roads or are you sticking to that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyone uh, wanted to know? I'm just kidding. Um, all right. So, <laughs> but um, what I wanted to say there though, is that if you did meet a guy who like, had his hand sticking out of the water and didn't submerge his hand. I mean, are you going to baptize him again? No, that's like sort of grip the edge of that. The... They, they, they <laughs> <to> immersion <laughs> and he, yeah. <laughs> I've had people with like long hair and the long hair stays on top and doesn't get wet. That's that doesn't count. It's still oh, man, you got to push it okay. down. All right, good. So yeah, yeah you're I do son. warn people. You see, I tell you, put up your hand like this and I say, great, I'm going to grab it. Yeah. And I said, when I push you down, I push, I push them. I said, just be yeah. prepared. I'm going to be pushing you yeah, to the right. bottom. You want judgment. You want putting... the judgment seat. You want judgment. <laughs> Push so you if you judgment. feel me pushing and you that, down. And if you offer me resistance, I'll do what I'll need to to make sure that I get everything. <laughs> just getting a bit of a chicken wing hold there. You know? <laughs> I have had some people, you know, we probably all got stories, but uh, James, poor old lady, she couldn't swim. And uh, she did that, you know, while I was trying to baptize her. <laughs> oh, <laughs> close call you know she wanted to let go and try grab something wow yeah anyway we always baptize in the ocean and usually during winter when the waves are really big and uh i've nearly lost a few anyway i've nearly (laughs) lost a few (laughs) even the people you aren't baptized are going to get baptized. i mean in in africa the 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 zionists they multiple baptize so it's just like 100 times and some people have drowned so i mean there we go there you go. Real case for That's Peter Baptism happening. <laughs> True judgment. They literally died with Christ. <laughs> All right. All right. Fesco's winning. That's <laughs> one score for Fesco, zero for Baptist. So uh, <clears throat> to disagree with Mike, I think immersion is the best way. Okay. Yeah, well, you've yeah. said your bit. <laughs> okay so coming back to the didache um yeah. he just makes the point there's no link uh between baptism and salvation or baptism and spirit and what he's trying to do here is he's showing that there's not a lot of theological development at this point so it's just it's just a comment on basic practice with no theological reflection and we would agree with that that yeah. that's the case i think so then he moves on to the shepherd of hermes uh-huh. and um 
Here the water is seen as a grace from which we arise alive. So now we're having some theological ideas being inserted. And the close association between water and life, um, this is where we can feel that they're going beyond what Scripture is is affirming. And uh, although we would I did wonder about this, though. Because, you know... I mean, uh, there's there's a possibility that there's some sort of synecdoche getting used here. You know, he's speaking just in ways that are just uncomfortable for us. But you know, well, the shepherd of, isn't the shepherd. Of, no, I think of the apostle Barnabas. Well, one of them says, "Once you can only have one sin after baptism," and then right. there's also all the uh, just the wrong ways of conceiving of salvation. And, but he uh, writes, "Before a man bears the name of the Son of God, he is dead. But when yes. he receives the seal." He lays aside his deadness and obtains life. The seal then is the water. They descend into the water dead and they arise alive. Yes. And to them accordingly was the seal preached and they made use of it that they might enter into the kingdom of God. Now at one level, like obviously if you're going to take that in a wooden way, you know, obviously we're, we're saying that's too much there, but, but it's, you know, used in that new Testament synecdoche kind of way, you know, you could, I mean, it's just a really excellent portrayal of what's yeah. actually happening, you know? So um, if, if he understands that we're justified by grace through faith yeah, and that this is, you know, we can connect that either in time or theologically to our baptism, mm. then sure. So is the case, but I think most scholars of the early church would agree that they went a little bit beyond that. They, they, weren't, the language, they didn't yeah. have these reformation nuances. They were, they were just very closely flat literal approach yeah water water and life going just all together and that was part then of a the big, confusion a big reason for that i think is because they are reading anachron anachronistically you know so you, you know you, the next church father picks up where this guy leaves off yeah. and takes it a little step further and then and then on and on and on and so the way that you read is you think well if he who was closest to him interpreted it this way then there's a little bit like it could be a game of broken telephone going on there is that Chinese possibility whispers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i mean it's a case in point is justin martyr who's my one was one. less racist but <laughs> <laughs> i'm just too woke <laughs> no comment um <laughs> bro. Right. So uh, Justin Mida, he uh, associates regeneration with baptism. So where the shepherd of Hermes talks about water and life, mm. we now have the language of regeneration and baptism getting locked mm. together in Justin Mida. So we're just seeing this, this, this mush beginning to happen. Mm. And then, um, then we come to Tertullian. And what's significant about Tertullian is this is the only specific work yeah. on baptism that predates the Nicene Council. Mm. And, and he's uh, saying, don't baptize your kids. <laughs> <laughs> now, Baptist what, what Fesco word. does is he tries to show that there are, that he was driven by wrong theological reasons and therefore his critique doesn't carry much weight because it's, it's, it's right. driven by the wrong sort of theology. Yeah, and they, they argue that, you know, he's, if anything, affirming this was the common practice and he's going against the grain there um, yeah. in his objection. Um, yeah. So here are, here are some of the, the, I mean, Tertullian, he is a guy to be reckoned with, and there are some excellent things in his work. So he does look at some of the typology. He looks at how mm. baptism points back to creation, the Red Sea, the water from the rock, how all of these are anticipations of what baptism will be a more, uh, a fuller symbol of. Mm -hmm. uh, but he does see the outward act of washing 
symbolizing the inward act of sanctification by an inward grace communicated through the rite of baptism. Mm -hmm. So there's an outward of an inward, but the inward is happening because of the outward. Mm. So this is, this is where Tertullian's going now. He's, he's drifting into sacerdotalism mm -hmm. as we, as we know it. Mm -hmm. um, he, he, again, some, some good biblical theology as the spirit hovers over the waters in creation. Mm. Um, the spirit also sanctifies the waters of baptism. So he's making the right theological connections. Totally. He's drawing totally. the wrong theological conclusions. And I appreciated the way Fesco, you know, picks those little bits out in his description yeah. as well. You know, just knowing his own sensitivities uh, to not only his own argument about baptism, but I mean, he is, he pulls some serious time. Like if, I don't know if you guys have seen this book, last things first. Uh, it's, it's really like a, it's an awesome, awesome treatment of the covenant of works and, and right. um, you know, the garden. So, so, you know, he's very good with his biblical theology. And so I just love the fact that he's combing through this for us yeah, and, and pulling out these things that we can talk about amen. because it's a lot of work, you know, to, to go <laughs> to is. these guys. And, and do it's what incredibly, he's so even if you allow for his little spin that he puts on everything, it's incredibly yeah. valuable Yeah, because it opens, it does open it right up for you. Yeah. Um, Tertullian also talks about the waters are imbued with uh, medicinal virtue and spiritually cleanse the flesh. And so cleansing the flesh, uh, we've got all sorts of foreign religious notions coming in as it pertains to the flesh in need of cleansing. So there's mm -hmm. a little bit of bad philosophy coming in there. Mm -hmm. He says this, the Holy Spirit is not given in baptism, but baptism prepares and cleanses us to receive the spirit and so it becomes a necessary part of salvation. Mm. So he's just pulling out the nuances. I, I appreciate that. Mm. Um, but here was, here was an oddity into Italian's view. The Old Testament saint was mm. saved by a bare faith. The New Testament saint is, is saved by a faith dressed in baptism. It's almost exactly the opposite of the way we <laughs> yeah. would process it, you know? Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. That, that was very interesting because, and it comes up again later on, isn't it, about people interpreting the relationship to baptism and circumcision, almost the opposite way. Was that Augustine or someone, someone a bit later on from, my, yeah. from memory? It's almost the exact opposite the way it seems to, Paul seems to take it, where it, they're almost reversing the, the covenants. Like it's, it's a weird thing. Yeah, because you think, um, you know, you've got, you know, at least with the Italians thing anyway, you've got this idea of, um, you know, when we process Christianity, we're no longer bound by the external you know, type elements and the, the, whatever sacrament, the, whatever value the sacrament had, it, it had an external function that, you know, was indispensable in the Old Testament by way of types and shadows. And so he's just inverting that on its head. It's like they were free as butterflies back in the Old Testament. But <laughs> yeah. now they were justified by faith alone. But we <laughs> are justified by baptism. We need the sacrament and we need the, the externality. And yeah, it's, it's mad. It's just, it's going, it's going, um, it's going on this uh, trip to a very, very sanctimonious magisterium uh, yeah. and uh and you know external church vibe yeah so coming it's to also really interesting about how he, he brought out the kind of the way that our soul is birthed from the souls of the parents or something like that did you did you, did you catch that bit yeah is that traditionism or no that's the yeah yeah traditionism, well, traditionism. I, I, yeah that's a realism that goes throughout mm. all the patristics so instead right. of a covenantal and federal uh, understanding of the relationship, it's a realism that goes through all the relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Crazy. So, okay. So coming to his view on infants, he says this, why did he reject infant baptism? Infants are innocent of sin and do not need baptism. 
and so should not be baptized until they can make their own commitment. Mm. Um, so that's, Augustine. Yeah. And then he says that Passover and Pentecost are the preferred days for baptism, though any day is fine and pray and fast before baptism. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So, so Fesco does quote some other early patristic sources who were pro infant baptism around this time. Mm-hmm. So he quotes, uh, origin who died in 254 and origin says this little children are baptized for the remission of sins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he also said Satan was going to be saved. So <laughs> yeah. So origin, Don't be origin, origin. <laughs> origin believed every person was born polluted by sin and therefore required baptism. He says, the baptism of the church is given for the forgiveness of sins that according to the observance of the church, that baptism also must be given to infants. Since certainly if there were nothing in infants that ought to pertain to forgiveness and indulgence, then the grace of baptism would appear superfluous. Mm -hmm. So all to say infants are sinful. They need baptism. Mm -hmm. And then he, so he says there are others, Cyprian, uh, Hippolytus and Chrysostom all, say something very similar to origin. Mm. It reminds me of what Jewett's argument, you know, and this is very going from like a long time ago when I read it, but basically the, the idea is you see, you start seeing it actually happen in that, you know, wh- why did they slide from the apostolic practice? If it didn't, if it didn't involve infant baptism, you know, how did it get to this point? What was going on? And you have these, you have these pressures around them, you know, uh, at the one level we see Augustine will start really getting into the circumcision analogy and, and whatnot. And just making that, that, that Jewish connection right after it stops being like the most, uh, antithetical thing to the gospel. And, and then you've got the pagan connection as well that, you know, everyone's got their little right thing that they have to do and their magic and their, you know, ceremony. And, and, uh, and then you've got the infant, um, mortality thing going on as well. And so all these pressures are converging to, you know, what have we got? What has Christianity got to give at this point? And they're like, well, let's, you know, you can see it in origin. He's saying, well, you know, they're, they're sinful. They need to be baptized and get them baptized yeah. before they go to, before they die, you know, um, because this is all we got to give them. So it's, it's, you know, you can see how it came about uh, in that sense. And it would take about 300 years for that to happen, you know, which is what, um, I think the best sources show us um, is the case. Yeah. So you've gone, sure. you, you've gone from a variety of views that basically say you shouldn't baptize an infant because once you do, it's dangerous for them because they don't really know what's going on. And so they could fall into sin and that could you know, be even worse for them. And then you've got the, the other view that says, you, sh- you know, you shouldn't baptize infants because they don't need it. Yes. So another view that says, well, you should baptize infants because they do need it. And Mm. so they're like that grappling with the, the simple nature and original sin. Right. Which is all, but there isn't really this kind of like covenant overarching. Oh, not at all. But Augustine will bring the first little bit of that out. I think, Yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's, again, it is, it is development and Fesco does, very helpfully map out when guys do bring in some connections, mm. whether it's to circumcision. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, so that brings us to Augustine. And mm. uh, the key issue with Augustine is the, the Donatist controversy, mm. which we have commented on. And yes. this forced him to reflect on ecclesiology and baptism very deeply. As a result of persecution, the question was raised whether the sacraments administered by a minister who later apostatized were valid. Uh, this, uh, and so the Donatists believed the, bap- the baptism was nullified and demanded rebaptism. It's probably the root uh, idea from which the slow Anabaptists came from, mm. reflecting on this period of history. Mm. Um, 
And uh, Augustine countered this, saying that the effectiveness of the sacrament was dependent upon Christ, not the minister. And then, of course, we know the two phrases, ex opere, ex opere operante. operantis, yeah. on account of the work of the one who works, um, yeah. which is the Donatist view, and then ex opera operato, by the work performed, being mm. Augustine's view. Mm. Well, what's really interesting about this is that, you know, this whole thing about this priest in America, we, we've referenced it before, but you know the details of that, right? So... Um, he gets, he, there's a priest in the state, a Catholic priest, and he's, he's baptized, but his baptism is deemed to be, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, was not valid, right? Invalid mm -hmm. baptism. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the reason why it's declared to be invalid is because whoever baptized him said, you know, we baptize you rather than I baptize you, which is what he should have said. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So simply by putting it in the plural and saying we baptize rather than I baptize, his baptism's invalid. But then the crazy thing is, because his baptism's invalid, so is his ordination, and so is his ability to administer the sacraments to others. Which means anyone who's come to for 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 uh, you know sacraments. the sacraments, yeah. the Lord's Supper, anyone who's come for confession, anyone who's come for marriage none of those sacraments have actually taken place. So now they've set, had to set up this whole like pastoral crisis center because all these people are like all along, I thought I was forgiven, but I wasn't or all along. I thought I was married like as a sacrament, but I wasn't. So they got the legal piece of paper, but they, it wasn't. But isn't that the whole thing with ex opere operato? But this is, this is exactly my point. So it sounded to me and, and, and I also, so what I heard from one Roman Catholic apologist was, that God isn't bound by the sacraments. So in other words, he has bound himself to the sacraments. That's how he normally works, but he himself is not bound. He can work outside of the sacraments. He can do that. Yeah. Now I, insofar as what he was saying was true, it was really then surprising to learn that all these Roman Catholic bishops were saying, no, this is a very serious problem. Taylor Marshall comes on, he comments. It's hmm. a satanic work of the devil to stop the, you know, the progress of the gospel kind of thing. And, and so it, it seemed to me, and I didn't know if you guys had followed this at all, but it seemed to me like this was almost the, the more Donatist kind of one. Yeah, yeah. sounds Easy Donatist. answer already solved, in, in, at least from a Roman Catholic perspective. Did they have yeah, a Donatist, it, did they have a Donatist wing? <laughs> a Donatist, uh, yeah, I'm just no, wondering no, no. who's... This sounds like a weird portion of the Catholic Church that must be bringing the complaint because yeah. they have the resources no, it's, it's in a, their it's, own it's, theology it's to it's answer all, that. It's all, yeah. you know... Weird. It's all in the main body of the Catholic Church. It's not like some weird Byzantium wing or anything like that. It's hmm. yeah, it's Roman Catholic Church. Wow. So I was like, man, I either understand much less about Roman Catholic theology and about church history than I did, or like they've just completely moved beyond it in some way. But I yeah, I mean, I, I guess we we credit Augustine being the father of Roman Catholicism, but it's such a diverse movement. I mean, they don't believe in predestination as we do anymore, as Augustine mm. did. That's true. So there has been a lot of development. And know. there is just no consistency. I mean, it's an illusion. They have one institutional guy at the head, you know, and that, and, and they have like a, a do look. Do they? Or that, do they have two? That's true. Okay. <laughs> even, even got to take that back these days. But, but, you know, like even at their best day, I mean, the inconsistency is profound. You know, there's just mm -hmm. nothing. You know, that's one thing I've grown to appreciate. There's just deep inconsistency. So this is kind of not surprising at that level. All right, so um, anyway. Augustine's view. Let's dig into the details. Yeah. Because Augustine believed in original sin, he believed that both infants and adults needed baptism for salvation. 
-hmm. He thought that baptism regenerated on the basis of John 3, 3, and therefore infants must be baptized before death for the remission of their sins. Mm -hmm. He believed that baptism removed the guilt of original sin and conformed the child to the image of Christ. All those who are predestined will be drawn to partake of baptism for regeneration. Augustine believed that an adult must believe by the prevenient grace of God and will believe because of predestination, but that baptism was also necessary to change, cleanse, and regenerate the sinner. Mm. He saw it as effective against original sin and infants as they, as they had committed no actual sins. And then, of course, um, he believed that children could die and go to hell, but it would be the least amount of punishment possible on the sort of outskirts of hell. Mm. yeah it was interesting the way he needs both in both you know yeah. he uh and he uses the thief uh, the thief on the cross <laughs> to uh mm. to you know talk about the the reality that you know at the end of the day you can have just faith and um even if you're not baptized you know it's almost like the same you probably i don't know if they'll go to purgatory as well but there's just some some sort of way to get them in so he it seems like he held them quite loosely in that regard but i don't know uh, yeah. it's it's just a, a you can see it just gets more complex and it gets well more... i think the i think that's that idea of of that you find again in that Roman catholic apologist that i was watching that god is has bound himself to the sacraments but is not bound by the sacraments so you've yeah, it's not, you're not saying that God can only work or that if someone isn't baptized, there's no possibility of salvation. Mm. Um, but that would just be the, the, the normal way. But like the thief on the cross would be a biblical example of an exception to that. Yeah. So but, I think, I think Augustine's point is to say that as long as there's no denial or there's yeah. no, I'm, I don't want anything to do with this, then yeah. God can work outside the sacraments. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah. uh, so, so he brings faith into it in that yeah. way but he still yeah, has I've, a, got the I've got the quote here. he says uh, yeah. augustine answers the sacrament of baptism is one thing the conversion of the heart is another um but that man's salvation is made complete through the two together um and so yeah you've got an interesting sort of you know you need them both you know yeah. it, and even just the way that he came up with this big definition that everyone used from that point it, on what, the sign, what is interesting yeah sorry go for it um sorry you lagged and so you, yeah. Anyway, right, yeah, well, um, let me let me finish. just finish the thought. Finish yeah, the thought. yeah. I'll finish uh, what what I was saying in terms of just that definition because we'll use that. Um, you know, the that Augustine comes up with this definition of uh, baptism as a sign for the internal reality, right? I mean, Baptists yeah. use that. <laughs> Visible Everyone. sign of an invisible grace. It's we a good all definition, use that. depending on what you mean. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I yeah. just find it so interesting that that becomes prominent from Augustine onwards, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we all use it in some way or another. And even, even the idea of the sacrament being one thing and conversion being another, you know, it's, you start to see these ideas start, uh, you know, just, just growing in nuance. Um, yeah. But you start to realize how important it is to clarify things like what you mean by baptism being a means of grace as well, you know, so the, or the, the sacraments as a means of grace, because in one sense, you know, if they if all I believe knew, that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. In, in, in one sense, the, if I knew somebody who had expressed faith in Christ, but had refused to be baptized that would raise a question for me mm, you mm, know? yeah and so you know in the sense that that augustine's pointing out that look if baptism was available and they said no to us yeah 
you know, that, that does raise a question. You know? uh, yeah. it, it may not necessarily answer the question just by them. Yeah, you can't say that they're definitely not saved just because they said no to baptism. There might be other factors there. But, the, but it certainly raises the question. It certainly says, well, why are you, why are you denying baptism? What does this say for Salvation Army? Yeah, well, they yeah. believe they believe in baptism. But it's, on, it's only spiritual, so oh. that salvation is their spiritual baptism. So it becomes a non-issue. Yeah, um, but that, that doesn't count, though. Yeah, so they in their hearts they believe they've obeyed it, so they're not disobeying it. <laughs> oh, like well, that's it. not what the that's not what the Sally Armies here say. They send them to us to baptize them. They just don't do it themselves. Okay, okay. well, that's, so they, you know, I can even appreciate that. Well, that's but, because you have people yeah. in the organization who see it's unbiblical. And yeah, actually, yeah. You know, all right, all right, all right. Quakers then. Quakers, Quakers, Quakers. <laughs> what about Quakers? <laughs> well, right. I mean, I've, 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 I've known people in my congregation who I believe were saved, but who don't have enough theological hmm. understanding to, to, to see the error of their disagreements. Well, you know what another thing is? You, so you end up... Not um, every single person who disagrees to be baptized is 100% rebellious. of the time unsaved. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, what happens, I think, and this is just, I mean, this is an indictment on the church at the moment, but if, if my old uh, charismatic experience was anything to go by, you know, it's just, it's so downplayed, you know, like you just, who needs it? Who needs baptism? It's just this random thing you kind of have to do. Maybe. Go straight to the baptism of the spirit. You know, go yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so people, I think, you know, if they've just come up, if they've become Christians, go to church and that's what they get fed. I mean, they honestly, it takes them a while to figure out baptism is actually a thing. That oh, I how about this do. one? I, I know someone who comes from a dispensational background and what, what, what they believed was this, is that baptism in water was for the Jews. Because John the Baptist, and while Jesus and his, the apostles were doing their ministry, and even the first century, it was like all Jews, mostly. And so it's like a dispensational thing. And now wow. the temple's gone. No way. You know, all that, that whole washing routine is gone. And so, you know, they, they've got, you know, they, they had reservations about baptism. Yeah. But it wasn't because they were deliberately Rebellious, trying to disobey. Right. Yeah, it's, it's they, just because they were heres heretics. And um, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> well, are no. you though, Mike? They are kind of. I'm not. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Yes. So, in an maybe. open membership scenario, they could be members. Um, but right. uh, in our in our particular no. church, they wouldn't be able. To. Well, it, it comes back to like, where does that accountability lie? You know, where's the doctrinal threshold? Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and this is exactly because you allow Peter Baptist in, who are unbiblical, but you won't allow uh, that baptism is only for Jews in the first century, because even though in their consciences, they believe they don't need to obey it. Anyway, I'm just, I feel like you're talking to me, Nick, but I'm not really sure what's going on. I feel like you're trying to have a go at me, but I wasn't quite. I'm having, I'm having a go at open. Oh, you're an open membership. I didn't even think of that. I wasn't even, I wasn't digging at you. I was just speaking. I was just on a hobby horse. And there was like, all right. So basically in conclusion, ding, ding, ding. Round two, yeah. two points to Pesco, zero for Baptists. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't get it. That's not how I tell you the score. <laughs> right. So, so anyway, do, do we want to discuss Augustine's connection between circumcision and baptism? Um, do you want to skip well, that and get, just draw up? Should, do we, should we just sum up? I think era? let's sum up. Yeah, let's try and sum up because we're getting on. All right. time so, um, and people love to summary, joke around. This is Pesco's summary and analysis. So he notes the following points. Okay. The Didache says little about the theology of baptism and looks more at the mode and preparation for baptism. There true. is a flexibility as to mode. This is Fesco, not Nick speaking. Yeah, but I think but it's true. <laughs> it's Mike speaking. 
Nick speaking says, but whether this is good or right, or if because of persecution or others restrictions is not considered. Well, Mike speaking says, don't worry too much about what Nick speaking says. (laughs) And then Fesco goes on to say, as the theology of baptism did develop, baptism was seen to have the power to cleanse and to regenerate. And uh, Fesco does bring the warning, which we mentioned earlier, of simply equating ourselves with those in the past, with the yeah, Baptists yeah. and Peter Baptists. Yeah. Um, and uh, as Baptists, you probably know about the book, The Trail of Blood. Mm. And The Trail Burn of it. Blood is that ridiculous book where people try, you know, every heretic that ever immersed gets put in the Baptist family. I know. I've actually got the a cool Italian who was a Montanist. Yes, Baptist. Baptist, totally. Yeah. yeah, I've got this book called Pilgrim uh, History or something, something like that, mm. and it's just basically, basically, a working out of that Connect idea. Connect the dots any way you want. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, and then this is this is what what I thought was really helpful. He says we must guard against the realism in Patris- in the patristic view of the sacraments and other philosophical baggage, which was transported into their theologizing. The realistic transmission of original sin from Adam to his offspring infects Augustine's view on infant salvation and baptism. He believes that Augustine believes that infants are grafted into Christ by baptism and out of, out of Adam by baptism. And so if they're not baptized and they die, they'll go to hell, but to a lesser punishment. They hmm. all tended to turn grace into a substance. And this made the waters of baptism instrumental for this grace. Hmm. That's how he sums it up. Yeah. Great. Thanks. And he's setting it up well for middle ages there. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll come back to that next time. Thanks, Nick, for summarizing that. That was awesome. Um, there we go. I hope everyone's a Baptist after that. Oh, yeah. Immer- <laughs> immersionist Baptist. Immersion. Mode yeah. matters. No, joking. We're just, uh, we're kicking this off and it'll be an interesting journey. So stay with us. Um, and I think, yeah, it's kind of cool that we have a little bit. I mean, we're basically all on exactly the same page. And we're about as close as you could ever hope to get. Uh, the three of us, except we have some, I think, helpful, interesting differences that'll make the discussion uh, pop out along the way. Cool. Playing out.